Welcome to this verse-by-verse Bible teaching from Calvary Queen Creek in Arizona with Assistant Pastor Darrell Logan. We hope you're blessed by listening. Romans 10.17 says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. For more information, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org. Father, we thank you once again for allowing us to be here. Thank you for this opportunity to break the bread of your Word with the people who are here, with the people who are listening online. Lord, we pray that you'll help us to be sensitive to your spirit. Help us to have open and receptive hearts to whatever it is you want to speak into our lives and whatever it is you want to do in and through us. Now I pray for the gift of teaching, the fresh filling of your spirit. Help me, Lord, to rightly divide your word of truth as I decrease and you increase. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So in our study of the book of Genesis, Uh, We are in chapter 2, and we're going to take a look at verses 18 through 25. So once again, Genesis chapter 2, verses 18 through 25. And the title of this study is Holy Matrimony. Holy Matrimony. And so the word matrimony is actually another word for marriage. And marriage becomes holy matrimony when people focus on on honoring God and serving the other person at the same time. And so as we go through this study today, it is not, of course, a marriage seminar that's only for married people. As maybe you are uh, single at this time or maybe you are engaged. Uh, but one thing I can assure you of is that, yes, there's going to be some applicable things to marriage uh, in particular, but to every person, whether you're single, engaged, or whatever the case is, because some people are called to be single according to the word of God. And so um, nobody should leave here without something that uh, the Lord wants them to apply uh, to their lives, myself included, although I have the privilege and this opportunity to break the bread of the word with you. And so we are going to start in Genesis 2, verse 18, and it says, And the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. Some people pronounce it comparable. Some pronounce it comparable. Uh, But man here is Adam. Or in English, we will say Adam. So God said, it's not good that man should be alone, but I will make him a helper uh, in the sense of a partner or or ally um, who is comparable or who corresponds to him. And so here's the thing. According to Genesis chapter one, everything was good with creation. In fact, Genesis chapter one, verse 31 says creation was very good. However, in this lesson, um, just right off the bat, we see that God spotted something that was not good. And it wasn't good because it was evil, but he said that something was not good because it was not finished. In other words, something was missing. In other words, there was a a helper, a helpmeet that was missing for Adam, the first man. And so what God is saying is that it was not good that the man was alone. But 
as we see the text here, we think about the other studies. Well, there's, there's God there. God himself is there. Animals were created. They're there. So how can he really be alone? Well, in context, you have to remember it's referring to man as being the only human in existence at that time. He was alone in that sense. He didn't have a partner. He did not have a counterpart that is suitable and and complementary to him. Someone who was like him being human, but different. There was nobody like that. And God saw that. And so he expressed his plan to make the first man, Adam, a helper or another translation may say a help me. But this counterpart that will be made, as we're going to see in the study, they're going to be made also in the image of God. They're going to be equal to man because they're both humans. The woman, she's a human as well. And so in that sense, they're, they're, they're equal. But what I want to focus on is the fact that God spotted a problem. And whenever God spots a problem, he always plans to fix it. He, he saw that it was not good for this man to be lonely, for him not to have a counterpart. That's the problem. God is going to fix it. And, and it's the same thing with our lives. Yes, God can see the problem. We, we don't have to explain all the details to him. But it's okay that we do as we spend time with him in prayer. It's okay that we pour our hearts out to him because the Lord tells us to cast our cares upon him. Why? Because he cares about us. He's concerned about us as believers in Jesus Christ. We are his children. And so as we share with him our issues, our problems, which he already knows about anyway, When we share with him our needs, which he already knows what we need anyway, he already has a plan to fix it. Just like we see here in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, he sees the problem and he's going to fix it. He's going to create a helper for the first man, Adam. But we can also apply what God said when he said it's not good that man should be alone. We could also apply that to humans in general, in general. Because it's not God's will that, that, that humans should be isolated in general. That's not his will that we should be isolated. According to this one article called The Impact of Social Isolation on Mental Health, which was written on March 4th of this year, just pulled a few excerpts out. One thing that it says is that, Uh, Social isolation involves being cut off from contact with others. This can involve physical isolation, but also refer to feeling emotionally disconnected from social interaction. It goes on to say that people can be socially isolated both intentionally and unintentionally. And while levels of social contact can vary over time, extended periods of social isolation can cause mental um, harm and physical um, harm as well. So it, it, can, it can hinder a person's physical well-being. Isolation has also been connected to a greater risk for medical conditions such as heart disease, high blood pressure, weakened immunity, and reduced overall longevity. People who are socially isolated also tend to experience a higher amount of work-related stress 
are more likely to misuse drugs and alcohol and have lower satisfaction with their life. People, this is what it says, and I use this as a summary from this article. People are social creatures. This is not a, a Christian article or anything. But it says, it admits, people are social creatures and lacking support and contact with others can contribute to loneliness, cognitive decline, anxiety, and depression. Can you remember a time when people were urged to stay away from other people for long amounts of time? They may not have had this in mind, the spiritual, the mental aspect in mind when they, when they said that, but the enemy, Satan did. He, he knew what he was doing when he, I would say, influenced some leaders to, to, to push this strategy upon the people. We see the effects of it. Some kids, healthy kids, football players committed suicide. You can read the articles, but God said it from the beginning And once again, in context, he was talking about the man and him having a mate. But in general, like I said, he said from the beginning, it's not good that man should be alone. And with that being said, let's go ahead and turn to Ecclesiastes uh, chapter 4, verses 9 through 12. And as you're turning there or as you're swiping there, whatever you're doing there, I'm going to go ahead and read Ecclesiastes 4, verse 9. It says, two are better than one. Because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fail or fall, uh, one will lift up his companion. But woe to him who is alone when he falls, for he has no one to help him up. Again, if two lie down together, they would keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? Though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. So right there in Ecclesiastes 4 verses 9 through 12, you see the benefits of having a friend, for example, a companion. It says here, just based on verse 9, that when two come together, that pretty much more can be accomplished. You also see another benefit in these verses of having a friend, having a companion, that that there would be more support in the time of need. You also see that mutual comfort or warmth will be provided. You also see that having more friends is better. That's one way to see verse 12, but it's also appropriate to see verse 12 as talking about the Lord, having the Lord in that picture as that third strand. And so in other words, when God is in the mix and he becomes that threefold cord, with us and our friend or with us and our spouse, then that partnership becomes even stronger. And so, yes, we can see this application in a godly marriage. And so I would encourage you as believers to fellowship with the saints often. It is actually God's will. In Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25, and it's not a guilt trip. I know some people have to stay home. You know, some people work on certain days and so forth. Some people are ill. So this is not a guilt trip on those tough situations, those extreme situations. Uh, but, but let's look at Hebrews 10 for what it is, verses 24 and 25. And it says, and let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking 
the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. So consider one another. We want to stir up love within one another. We want to stir each other up to good works. We don't want to forsake assembling ourselves together, coming together, uh, whether it's a Sunday morning, uh, men's study, women's study on a Tuesday night, Wednesday night service. We have a Saturday morning uh, men's fellowship going, in, going on. We have prayer service going on on Saturday. We have various ministries who meet throughout the week on Thursday or, or, or maybe even on certain Fridays of the month. And we even have home fellowships. And so we should be doing that more and more. We should be encouraging one another. And even more as you see the day, as you see the day of his return approaching. And so the writer of Hebrews, whoever the human writer is, we know, of course, the author is the Holy Spirit for sure. But you see that he's addressing these Hebrew believers because some have already forsaken this habit of assembling. And so he's sharing this. And so fellowship with the saints often, it is God's will. It is not good for man to be alone. We, as Christians, we are not meant to live this life alone. That's why we're called the body, the body of Christ. Verse 19, back in Genesis 2, it says, Out of the ground, the Lord, and again, that would be Yahweh, uh, God formed every beast of the field. So these would be the wild animals and and also every bird of the air. And he brought them to Adam or the man to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. And so in, in chapter one, we got the summary of the order of creation. And so we see in chapter one that the birds were actually created on day five of creation week. And then he made the land animals on day six. So once again, we see that in Genesis chapter 1. So chapter 2 is not another, and I repeat this from the last study, uh, chapter 2 is uh, it's not another creation story, but it, it is, it's focusing on, more on a topic. And so in other words, it, it is taking a metaphorical magnifying glass and it's looking at day 6 of creation. And so... It is, once again, topical as we take a deeper look at um, the creation of the first man and at the creation of the first woman. And so in regard to this name, Adam, not only is this a proper name, but it also gives us the idea of the substance of man. And so once again, man in the Hebrew um, is Adam here and ground is Adamah. And so you can see the, the, the play on words. And so it's not only a proper name, but it gives the idea of the substance of man. He was formed from the dust of the ground. It tells us in the scriptures in this very chapter that we're in at this time. But it also gives the idea that a man is base. The man is lowly, created to be a little lower than the angels. But yet and still, the Lord has given dominion to mankind over the earth, over the animal kingdom. And so, yes, it, man is base, but mankind is also made in the image of God, including babies who are in the womb, made in the image of God. So everything God 
creates, the devil wants to destroy. God said he's going to make man in his image. The enemy wants to destroy it. God said it is not good for man to be alone. Satan wants to mess that up. God created marriage. Satan wants to, again, mess it up and desecrate it. So you see the pattern. And you also see here um, in this verse, in verse 19, how God delegated authority to mankind. Actually, we see that even in chapter 1. But here you see Adam using that authority. He's showing he has dominion by naming the animals. And so by him giving names to animals, it shows that he has authority over the animals, that authority that God has given to mankind. In verse 20, again, Genesis 2, it says, So Adam gave names to all cattle. These are livestock. He gave names to the birds of the air and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, the man, there was not found a helper comparable or suitable or one that corresponded to him. And so as Adam is naming all, all of these animals, giving names to all of them, and, and most likely these animals were coming to him in pairs. And so he's naming all of these animals. The, the, the lion is long. You can kind of imagine it. And, and they're coming to him. The Lord is bringing them to him. And he's probably been working on this a long time. But as he's sitting there, he's, he's noticing something that, that these other animals are, they have a counterpart, but but I don't. And I'm sure he noticed that. But remember this. Remember that God is the one who first noticed it. Who first noticed that he didn't have a helper or a counterpart to him, to man. But remember, God had already determined to fix it. But Adam, at that time that God noticed what he was lacking, at the time that God noticed that there wasn't a counterpart from Adam, for Adam, Adam didn't recognize it, but now he is recognizing it. And so often, just like Adam, later on, we catch on to what God already knows. We, we catch on late. We, we're often late to the party. Yeah, we see that with science. They think they discovered something new, but really it's catching up to what the Bible already said. You see, one thing God knows is that without him, there is no salvation. God knows that without him, there is no peace. God knows that without him, there is no joy. God knows that without him, we cannot meet our full potential in Christ. God knows that without him, we cannot do anything. As Jesus said when he was referring to himself as divine, he said that without me, you, you can't do anything. And so I just wonder tonight if, if you spot what is missing in your life. Adam finally got to that point after naming all these animals. He got to the point where, oh, something is missing. A, a counterpart for me is missing. I don't see anyone like me. I wonder if you got to that point like Adam did where you begin to see what is missing in your life. Maybe for you, you start to realize that, hey, I'm missing out on joy. I'm seeing these other people experiencing joy, but I don't have that. I see this other couple who have peace, but I don't have that. I see other people growing in the word of God, but, but, but I don't have that. 
I see some people who, who are looking forward to fellowshipping and worshiping with the saints of God, but, but I don't have that desire or I have that lack. So I wonder if you notice what is missing in your life. And the biggest hole that is missing in people's life is the Lord himself. There is an empty throne on the heart of man. Matter of fact, I correct myself. There is a throne on the heart of man with a lot of people sitting on, their, on that throne. Because they, to them, they themselves are the Lord of their lives. Oh, but God would love for us to remove ourselves from that throne of our hearts and allow him to sit on the throne of our hearts. And be the God, to be the king, to be the Lord of our lives. I wonder if you recognize what is missing. In verses 21 and 22, back in Genesis chapter 2, it says, And the Lord, or Yahweh God, or Yahweh Elohim, he caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept. And God took one of his ribs, or can refer to the curved section, or to the man's side, and he closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib, which the Lord God had taken from man, he made or fashioned into a woman, and God, he brought her to the man. He brought her to Adam. And so in these verses, we see the first marriage. Now, here are some observations about the first marriage. First of all, we see that the woman was taken from man, from the curb section or from his side. Or it says here in the New King James, he took one of his ribs and he fashioned a woman. She was taken from the man. Another thing we see about the first marriage is that God brought the woman to the man. So you can, also, you can almost picture a father walking his bride down or his daughter down the aisle to the man that she's about to be married to. And so God brought the woman to Adam. Another thing we notice about this first marriage is that it only involves one biological woman and one biological man. That's what you see. And so the conclusion we see, and you heard me say say it already, and, and it's obvious, you already know this, you're Bible scholars. The conclusion is that God created the institution of marriage. But the problem is, is that people are trying, to, they, they try to touch God's stuff. Leave what God created alone. Don't touch his stuff. And, and so what we should do is listen, listen to God in regards to all things about marriage. And I'm talking about marriage because that's what we're on in Genesis chapter two. And, and I want you to see something here. There's a few labels I want you to see. You see, there's some people who created these various items. And obviously they had to make these signs because, or these labels because somebody did something they weren't supposed to do. It says, danger, do not hold the wrong end of a chainsaw. So apparently somebody tried it. That's why they had to make the label. And the creator of that chainsaw is, you already know, you know, you're not supposed to do that. That's not what I created it for, for you to put your hands in there. You know, look at the, you know, the, the little hair dryer thing. Do not use while sleeping. <laughs> Which one of you? <laughs> Somebody in here 
did that and they had to make this label. That's not the creator of this item didn't make it for you to you know, have it on while you're sleeping. Here's one of my favorites with the washer. High spin speeds. Do not put any person in this washer. <laughs> to reduce the risk of serious injury, do not open the door when clothes are moving or water is in the washer. But back up. Do not put any person in this washer. My, my guess is somebody's dad tried that. I bet you it was somebody's dad. They put one of the kids in there to play around, to play games. Or maybe somebody's older brother. I can see that happening. Uh, but what is the point? Uh, the point is that when we, when we take something that was created and, we, and use it improperly, bad things can happen. Uh, God is the one who created marriages. And so I want to say this, that our marriages, our lives, our plans can and maybe will end in disaster if we do not consult the user manual. And our user manual is, of course, the word of God. And so if we don't follow, and I'm speaking of marriage here, that's where we are. If we don't um, do marriage and uh, apply marriage the way it's supposed to be applied and used, then guess what? Somebody's going to be hurt. Things are going to be messed up. And and you can just already see just from these examples here um, on the water, kind of comical, but, you know, marriage is real life, right? Verses 23, 24, back in Genesis 2, and it says, And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to or bond with his wife. Or another word, and I like this translation, to be glued to his wife. And they shall become one flesh or united into one. And so Adam, in a poetical way, he recognizes that he now has a counterpart. This is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And so notice when he created woman, when God created woman, that God did not start over from scratch. He didn't use a new pile of dust. He didn't use any other material to form the woman when, when he created Eve. No, the Lord created someone like Adam using material, material, if you will, from Adam, from his side. Took one of his ribs, according to the New King James Version. This shows the, the fact that, uh, you know, he used a body part from and some material from Adam to make the woman. It shows oneness between the man and the woman. It shows that there's a connection between the man and the woman. In fact, even in the Hebrew words that are used in verse 23 for the word woman and man, we even see a connection there because woman in Hebrew is Isha. And the word for man is Ish. So even in the words, you see that connection, that oneness between man and the woman. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 11, verses 8 and 9, it says, For man is not from woman, but woman from man. Nor was man created for the woman, but woman for the man. 
And so it coincides with what we see here in Genesis chapter 2. Verse 25, back in Genesis 2, it says, And they were both naked. Adam and Eve were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. Why were they not ashamed? They were not ashamed because they didn't have a sin nature at this point. They had no knowledge of evil. They have not yet eaten from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so they were not ashamed, even though they were both naked. In other words, they had a state of innocence. They did not have any moral guilt. And to help you get a picture of this, I just want to share with you and confess and confess that there was one time when I went to uh, visit my son up north, um, Northern California. I think it was probably for his graduation. He, he graduated from Stanford. This was last year. And so we went up there. We stayed in the hotel and downstairs they had coffee and snacks everywhere. And so I saw this one uh, section and everything just looked nice. Everything looked pretty and it, it just looked like it tasted so good. And so, you know, I, I went there and I, I, you know, I got some coffee. It was just out like it was out for the public. And, and so I got some coffee. I don't think I got any snacks. And I noticed it was this guy. He was just staring at me as I was, you know, doing the thing with the coffee and everything. And, you know, I'm not thinking anything of it. And so finally, the guy says something. It's like, oh, no, 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 no. This is, for, this is for the conference. And I was like, oh, I apologize for that. But I wasn't trying to hide what I was doing because I had a state of innocence in regard to this coffee and in regard to these snacks that were out. I literally did not know that that was for the conference. I just thought that was from the hotel. You see, but when people know that they are wrong and that conscience starts bothering them, that's when they try to hide. But in this example, I was out in the open about it because I didn't think anything of it. But then I corrected it once I found out. But you see here that Adam and Eve, they were in that state of innocence. Not just in the coffee situation like me, but just overall, no sin nature. But, but here is one of the problems of today. Is that when people should be ashamed for sinful lifestyles, they are not ashamed. In fact, they have people patting them on the back, telling them not to be ashamed of their lifestyles, supporting them in their sin. Therefore, they see no need for repentance. They see no need for a savior because they don't have this sense of shame. And so that's what we're dealing with in this society. And we can see it, but it's the Lord who would have to convict them. And so we must be the ones to pray that the Lord will lift those spiritual blinders that the enemy has put upon the minds of unbelievers. We must be in prayer for them. And so what is, what is God's design for marriage? We see that it's to be between one biological man, one biological woman for a lifetime. It's not something that you were just meant to go in and out on. You could just text somebody and say, it's over. No, no, that's not what it's for. You could just jump from one person to person. That's not God's design. When God designed it, it's for one biological man, one biological woman, until death separates the two. Jesus even agrees with this. Why? Because Jesus is God. 
And so Jesus is not going to disagree with whatever is said in the Old Testament because Jesus is God. For example, in Matthew chapter 19, verses 3 through 6, it says, The Pharisees also came to him, speaking of Jesus, testing him and saying to him, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? And Jesus answered and said to them, Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female? And said, For this reason, a man shall not leave his or shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. And of course, Jesus goes on to give, if, just, just if you're wondering, and we're not reading it tonight, if you're wondering, does Jesus give an appropriate um, or reason for divorce? Yes, he mentions sexual immorality is a reason. But I'm just letting you know that God's perfect will for marriage is for man and, and that woman to be together for a lifetime. So another design for marriage is that they be glued together. The man and the woman be glued together. And so this speaks of the unity between the husband and the wife. But, but the question remains, how can the husband and wife become one flesh? I see two people, but yet and still the Bible says become one flesh. So in what way can they be unified or become this one flesh? Well, first of all, the the man must leave his parents and he must bond with his wife. It doesn't mean that he never calls his parents, that he doesn't care for his parents when they're sick or uh, when they're up in their older years. It doesn't mean that, but it means that his primary loyalty must be changed from his parents to his wife or, or even siblings to wife. And so God should be first and then the spouse. The same for the wife. God first and then the spouse. And so if you're looking for someone to be married to, Christian brother, sister in Christ, uh, you should strive to get married to somebody who loves the Lord more than they love you. Because if they love the Lord more than they love you, then they're going to know how to treat you. They're going to see you the way God sees you. You're not just somebody off the street. No, you are. I'm married to a child of God. My wife's name is Donique. I am married to a daughter of God. Yes, she's my spouse. Yes, she's the mother of all four of my children, but she's also a daughter of God. And so I have to see her that way. And the wives must see their believing husbands there that way that that this is one of the children of God how am I treating ask yourself this married couple how am I treating God's child ask yourself that if you're married and so the, the husband and wife are to be united become one flesh they're to be united sexually they're to be united in having children I understand for, for some people um, that, that may be difficult, but they could be united in that way in procreation. They could be united in raising their children together. That's, that's God's design. They're, they're just united in life in general. They are doing life together and not just as individuals, not anymore. So I can't just go off and, and go out of state without 
you know, asking my wife if, if this is a good time to do it or if I could even do it, if she's okay with me going to visit mom or, or whatever the case may be. No, we need to talk about this. We, we're doing life together. We also must be united in purpose. And the man and the woman in a marriage should complete each other. So whatever the man lacks, just like what Adam was lacking, then Eve or the wife, she brings that to the table. And thank God for my wife, because I have more of the book knowledge in our marriage, where sometimes she has more of the common sense or practical knowledge. And so I have more of a book knowledge. So when she has a Bible question, she'll ask me, okay, what is, you know, what's going on here? Or when she needs help with the paper when she was in school, okay, you know, what's going on with this grammar? So I have more of the book knowledge, but when we're driving, and I don't want to admit that I'm lost. And she'll like, oh, you could just turn down this street, this street, blah, blah, blah. You're there. Okay. So she has more of that. And so we, we complement each other, complete each other. But then we're to be united spiritually, worshiping the same God, growing spiritually together. The Jesus of the scriptures should be our Savior and Lord. We should be growing together. Talking about the same scripture, spending time together in the word of God, praying together, praying over our children together. Making sure our children are learning the word of God together. We should have that desire. Worshiping the same God. But also in regard to marriage, when we talk about the design for marriage, it should serve as a principal building block of society. According to uh, one Bible scholar, I thought that was a good point that Dr. David Jeremiah shared. It should serve as a principal building block of society. And and so in other words, in our homes, our our children should learn how to be good, God-fearing citizens from the parents first. So when they go out in public, they, they know how to act. They know how to love people. They know how to love God first and foremost, right? And then they'll learn how to love people. They'll know how to abide by the law. Why? Because they were taught at home. And so that's why I like that point that it serves marriage, serves as a principal building block of society. But also marriage and talking about the design for marriage, it is designed to be a picture of Christ's relationship with the church. You say we can see our roles. Matter of fact, we can see our roles Uh, in marriage, husband and wife. We see what we're supposed to do in marriage based on Genesis 2, for example, and also based on Christ's relationship with the church. Well, first of all, just taking what we learn from Genesis chapter 2 about our roles, the the husband and wife's role in marriage. First of all, uh, we see that Adam, as the first created human, Just seeing that situation there, we see that he was the head of his wife, that that men, the husbands are to be the leaders of the home. Now, notice that that was set in place even before the fall of man. But then the role for the wife, just based on Genesis 2, what we find out is that the wife is to work alongside the husband. It says Eve was created to work alongside Adam as his helper in the marriage relationship. They they were to have dominion over the earth, over the creatures of the earth. And she was to be his helper, a helper who was suitable to him. 
his human counterpart. Similar because they're both humans, but yet different because one is male, one is female, but they're to work together. She's to come alongside as a helper. But Adam, the husband, was to be the head. And you may have heard this said before. So I'll share it again. You've heard this at maybe uh, weddings or maybe a Bible teaching, but I'll share it again. You see, God didn't make the woman from man's head so she could have authority over the man. He didn't make woman from Adam's feet that she should be under the man and that he can trample all over her. See, she didn't marry you husbands to, to become your mom, to become your slave. Your mom is your mom. Grandma is grandma. Your wife is your wife. So she wasn't created from something, from a tendon or something under his feet to be trampled all over. But God made woman from Adam's side that she should be equal to man as she is, uh, you know, human, just as much human as he is. Just as much loved by God as he is. Created by God just as he was. But of course, with different roles. But we also see the same order because some people think the word submit is a bad word. Why? Because of society, because of the culture. And the junk that the culture is pushing. But we also see uh, hierarchy or order in the Godhead. For example, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3, it says, But I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ. The head of woman is man. And the head of Christ is God. Speaking of God the Father. And you don't see Jesus complaining. Christ is equal to God the Father. He's very much God, as, as, as much as God as God the Father is. He's as much God as God the Holy Spirit is. But there's a hierarchy in the Godhead where Christ is submissive to the will of the Father. And the Holy Spirit testifies of Jesus and not of himself. And so you see even this order within the Godhead. And so having order within the home, within marriage, with man being the head and the wives being submissive to the husbands, that that's not a bad thing. Christ, God, the Father, the Holy Spirit, they set that example, but they are co-equal and co-eternal. Jesus, once again, is not any less God than God the Father is. So, so don't think, uh, wives, that you're, it makes you any less of a human or a person or important than, than your husband because of the various roles. Now, in Ephesians uh, chapter 5, verses 22 through 27, and these will be the last set of verses we're going to look at tonight. So once again, we're in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 through 27, and much more, of course, can be said about marriage, but we only have a limited amount of time. And so Ephesians 5, verse 22, it says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to, as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, and he is a savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing because or but that 
she should be holy and without blemish. And so we see here that, yes, wives are to submit to their own husbands, not to anybody else's husband, but also husbands. We're to love our wives as Christ loved the church. And how did he show his love for the church? He died. He hung on that cross on on Calvary. And he died. And so for, for us men, for us husbands, I'm not saying that we're to literally go to Jerusalem and find a cross and let somebody crucify us. I'm not saying we do that literally. But we are to die to self. We, we are at time to die to our own wants, our own needs. Some of you may want to stay home and watch the basketball game. It's playoff basketball. You don't feel like taking the children or the wife to church with you. But we should be leading the charge, although we may not feel like, although there's something that, that we want to do, something we want to see for entertainment purposes, we need to die to self and, and make sure our children are being fed. But I will submit to you this, that, that that church should not be the first place, the first time in the week that your family is fed. First of all, there should be personal devotions. Then there should be husband and wife devotions and, and then devotions with the children. And then church coming together on the Wednesday night or, or, or maybe a Sunday morning. For Spanish ministry, Sunday afternoon. That should be icing on the cake. That should be dessert to what's already going on at home. And so as husband, we need to die to self. Even when we don't feel like it, lead our family spiritually and taking them to church. Doing that Bible study. Maybe there's some noise in the house and you're nudging each other. No, you go check what that is. No, you check. No, we have to die to self. Get over that fear, whatever it is. Get over that sleeping. I know you're sleepy, but we we get up and we go check on things. Die to self. You know, Jesus demonstrated that. But, but here's the thing. The, the, these roles that we're called to do in, in marriage, we don't have to do that alone as the worship team takes the stage. Because as believers, we have the power of the Holy Spirit who's going to help us to submit and who's going to help us to lead our families the way God wants us to. And so whether you're single or married as a believer, Guess what? You are a part of the bride of Christ. You, you are the church. We're the body of Christ. And so this, of course, applies to single Christians, married Christians. You are a part of the bride of Christ. But here's the question. That's the bride of Christ. We have to, we have to be sincere with ourselves. Are we submitting to our husband, Christ? Are we submitting to Christ or trying to tell him what to do? Oh, I know that Jesus said this in the scripture, but this sounds much better. Or that's not what what Jesus really meant. Or you try to define what Jesus says so you can feel comfortable in your sin. But are we submitting to him, to our husband Christ as members of the church? And a final thought. Before prayer is as believers, single or married, I'm talking spiritually now as the bride of Christ. Just like we see in Genesis 2, 
As believers, we must leave and cleave. What are you talking about, Pastor Darrell? I'm talking about we must leave our old loyalties, leave our old life behind. In other words, like Jesus said, we must deny ourselves. You may have these, these goals for your own life, these aspirations for your own life. Deny yourself. Leave. Leave those old loyalties and, and cleave to Jesus. Cleave to him, bond with him, be glued to Jesus. And then you'll begin to start enjoying that union that you have with Christ. At that moment, you repent it and put your faith in him. Oh, you'll be, you, you start experiencing those blessings that comes with the union that you have with Christ through faith. And so that's the final word for tonight in regard to believers, leave and cleave. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for tonight. We thank you for the gift of marriage, the blessing of marriage, and pray for all the married couples. Help us all, Lord, to to be what you called us to be in our marriages, to fulfill the roles you called us to fulfill. I pray, Father, for those who plan to get married, that, Lord, if they have a desire to get married, that they would, that they would wait on you, Lord. So that they would find that mate that you have for them. Whatever, whomever you have for them is for them. Help them, Lord, to trust you in that. I pray, Lord, for people who are called to be single who are just focused on you, Lord. They just have that blessing of just focusing on you. Lord, I pray that you would strengthen their walk, that you would bless whatever ministry that you have given to them, that you would open up opportunities for them to share the gospel with unbelievers. And I just pray that overall, as believers, single or married, that you help us to to leave and cleave, to leave our old loyalties, to leave what we think is best for us, and to just be glued to Jesus and enjoy whatever you have for us in Christ. So Lord, may you bless your people tonight, bless them on their way home, use them in a mighty way this week, and I thank you, Lord, for their time tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you're able to stand, please stand for the last song. Thank you so much for coming out. May God bless you. May God keep you. As always, I'd like to say we love you. God bless. Thank you for listening to this teaching from God's Word. If you have any questions, would like to request prayer, or want more information about our church and how you can experience the love and hope of Jesus Christ in your life, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org.